Hello everybody, this is the second sermon in our Advent series, Finding God in Unexpected Places. Today we're looking at Matthew 1, 18-25, and we're finding God in our disappointments. Joni was just 17 years old when she went to the beach with her sister in 1967. She loved life and had so many opportunities ahead of her. But when diving into the bay, she misjudged the shallowness of the water and tragically broke her spine. Joni came from a family of faith. They all cried out to God and got friends and church to do the same. They prayed and prayed. They confessed their sins. They claimed Bible promises. They attended healing meetings, but nothing changed. Joni was left paralysed from the shoulders down. Joni has written candidly on how the disappointment of this led her into a downward spiral of despair, depression, religious doubts and the sheer frustration of it all left her battling suicidal thoughts. However, in occupational therapy, Joni learnt to paint with a brush held in her mouth. Soon her artwork was good enough to begin selling it. This was to be the opening of a new door in her life. More than 50 years later, Joni has now written over 40 books, recorded 15 records, starred in films and become an advocate for the disabled. She's an award-winning radio broadcaster, advisor to the US government and viral YouTube star. But through all this prominence, she has remained a woman of faith. All her work speaks of the God who might not have healed her yet, but holds her and uses her for great good. Millions of people have heard the gospel through her life and testimony. Joni Erickson Tada is just one example of someone who found God to be present even in the midst of great disappointment. In the run-up to Christmas, we are following a series entitled Finding God in Unexpected Places. We are remembering that when Jesus entered the world 2,000 years ago, he did so in a very surprising way. He did not come to the sophisticated cities of Athens or Rome, but in Israel. He did not arrive in a palace, but in an animal feeding trough. And he then grew up in Nazareth, a place where nothing good was supposed to come from. Jesus was God arriving on earth, yet he did it in the most unexpected way. And we are discovering that this truth should lead us to look for God to still be present and at work in every aspect of our lives today, particularly the more challenging ones. Last week we looked at how Jesus came from a family of dysfunctional human beings who often got things wrong. And we learn how God came into the world to save sinners, that he loves us despite our mistakes. Therefore, God can still be found by us today, even in our repeated failure. This week, in the next section of Matthew's account, we're going to see how God can also be found in our disappointments. After all, What could be more disappointing for Joseph than finding that his beloved fiance is unexpectedly pregnant? To truly understand this story, 
we need to know a little bit about how first century Jews got married. It was a two-stage process involving a betrothal and a wedding. The betrothal was effectively the choosing of a spouse. Often the parents of a young man chose a young woman to be engaged to their son. Evidence shows that women were often aged 12 to 13 and the men 17 to 18 when this custom occurred. Once agreed by the two families, the betrothal took place as a formal agreement before witnesses. Unlike modern day engagements, this was a legally binding contract. And as soon as the ceremony had taken place, a bride price was paid to compensate the parents of the bride and a dowry was given to the young couple to enable them to start a family. So a betrothal was legal and it was transactional. From that moment on, the terms husband and wife were used, but the girl did not yet leave her own family. At this stage, sexual relationships were not tolerated, and if either male or female had sex with anyone else, it was considered adultery an offence that carried a possible death penalty in Jewish law, but by the first century often resulted in a shameful and stigmatising divorce. From the time of the betrothal, a year was given to ensure that the relationship was working out, that this arranged couple could find common ground and affection for one another. At the end of that year, the wedding took place, a big, week-long celebration during which the marriage was swiftly consummated. Now, this ancient tradition seems very alien to us. And indeed, we are often tempted in the West to immediately write off arranged marriages. Some of that is for very good reason, as arranged marriages have been used to abuse women right across the world. But it's important we realise that that is not always the case. As Matthew continues to tell his story, very quickly we get a sign that Mary really meant a lot to Joseph. When Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant, he naturally assumes that she has committed adultery with another man. Verse 19 tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, and this is very important. Joseph is a good Jew. He wants to please God. He is zealous for the law. So immediately Joseph knows he can no longer marry Mary, as that would be seen by the whole community as condoning her scandalous behaviour. We need to realise that in Joseph's situation as a devout Jew, this was not optional, more a legal matter of fact. But to Joseph's great credit, even though he considers Mary an adulteress, he has great compassion on her. The text tells us that Joseph decides to divorce her quietly. In other words, he does not want to expose her any more than is necessary. Rather than hanging her out to dry, he is holding out hope for her future. It won't be with him, but by saving her from public disgrace and even possible death, Joseph hopes Mary will be left with something to live for. Although the text does not say it, in this action, I think we see Joseph's great affection for Mary. He clearly loved her and cared for her. He was clearly delighted to be betrothed to her and had longed for their wedding day to come. 
So from that assumption, it's fair to say that Joseph would have been absolutely devastated by the news that his fiancée was pregnant. This was not just a minor disappointment. All his hopes and plans for life had gone up in smoke. His young heart broken into pieces. We get another sign of just how agonised Joseph was by this in what happens next. In fact, we see him wrestling back and forth between his love for Mary and his desire to do the right thing in the eyes of the law. When the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in his dream, what is the first thing the angel says? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. When an angel tells you not to be afraid, that means you are afraid. Very afraid. Joseph loved Mary dearly. Every fibre of his being wanted to be with her. But he was so committed to God's word, he could not bring himself to marry her. I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that this dilemma was tearing Joseph apart. To think that Mary was an adulteress and that his marriage to her was no more was by far the biggest disappointment of his young life. But of course, as we all know, this is the moment when God turns up and changes everything. The appearance of the angel of the Lord, God's personal envoy to Joseph in his dream, is stunning. He comes with a message that will turn everything on its head, not just for Joseph, but for all human history. The announcement is short and succinct, in fact, bluntly to the point. Mary is not an adulteress, for she has slept with no man. The baby inside her virgin womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, my friend, this baby will be God incarnate. The Lord God Almighty himself entering our world with human flesh, bone and hair. And he is to be called Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He is coming to save the world from sin. An act that only God himself could do. An act that we will later discover could only be accomplished by God himself becoming human and dying a fully human death in our place. This is such a startling announcement from the angel. Matthew, the writer, feels he has to break off from his story at this point and in verses 22 and 23, give his readers a little piece of commentary to make sure we fully understand. This is God doing something truly unexpected. Something miraculous and beyond the realms of human possibility. So we are left in no doubt that it is him at work. This is God coming into the world through a virgin so that he could be Emmanuel, God with us. God literally with his people on earth in all their brokenness, sin and shame, in all their frustration, suffering and disappointment. This concept of Jesus Christ being Emmanuel, God with us, is so important to Matthew, he bookends his gospel with it. We find it here at the beginning and in the very final sentence, where Jesus turns to his followers and says, I will be with you always. 
Now, this is world-changing stuff. It would take humans years to get their head around all that God is doing in this moment. In many ways, we still have not grasped its full magnificence. Emmanuel, God with us in every situation we face, is a bottomless well of glory. But remember, Joseph is not party to any of Matthew's considered commentary. This dream must have simply blown his mind. There he was, so disappointed, so heartbroken that love of his life had been unfaithful and his marriage was over. Yet now he discovers that God has something in mind that will make his disappointment pale into insignificance. God is up to something so much better than Joseph could ever have hoped or dreamed of. As I said a moment ago, Joseph could not possibly have understood all this. He must have had so many questions, so much that confused him. And he's not had any opportunity to check this story out with Mary yet. But to his great credit, as soon as the dream ends, he heads off to act in obedience to what the angel of the Lord had told him. Joseph swiftly carried out the second part of the marriage process by having the formal wedding ceremony, an event that must have utterly bewildered his family and friends. And then he takes Mary home as his wife. The text specifically tells us in verse 25 that he withheld from having sexual relations with Mary until she had given birth, a sure sign of his respect for the baby in her womb. I know myself from being an engaged man, not having sex with your wife when you finally get the chance would be against all your natural inclinations. Then when the baby was finally born, he gave his adopted son the name Jesus, just as he had been told. Not the name Joseph Jr. that all the community would have expected, but Jesus, the Lord, saves in the run-up to Christmas, we so often focus on Mary and her wonderful example of obedience, but Joseph was just as obedient as Mary was. He took her as his wife, knowing full well that no one would believe his story, and therefore would throw ridicule and false accusations his way for the rest of his life. In fact, probably a large part of why he took Mary to Bethlehem with him when he was to fill out that census was to protect her from the scorn of the community. There was no other reason for her to travel. In these incredible days recorded so briefly by Matthew, Joseph discovered that the God of heaven and earth comes to us with an unlimited potential and possibility. When we think there is no hope, when our personal disappointment seems to lead towards a life of sadness and despair, God can make unexpected and startling new ways forwards. Joseph learned that the sovereign God continues to fulfil his promises and enact his plans with unstoppable love and grace. In many ways, God is beyond comprehension. That's what makes faith so hard at times. God's knowledge and power and vision is well beyond our own. But Joseph decided that in the face of it, all he could do was submit and obey what was asked of him. We would do well to do the same. 
As we sit here, I wonder what disappointments we currently have. Maybe they are recent, or maybe we've been carrying them with us for many years. Broken relationships, unrealised dreams, perceived failures in exams or education, lack of opportunity to do what we really wanted to do with our life. Maybe the coronavirus has stopped things happening that we were really looking forward to. I believe this story shows us that God is Emmanuel, even in disappointments like these. As he is with us at all times, he knows all our emotions. He understands all our heart's desires. God does not promise to give us everything we want, but he will provide for us what we need. What is more, he will find ways to include us in his plans and purposes for the world that are far greater than we could ever imagine. If we are facing disappointment today, if we are unsure as to what God is up to or what his will is, I encourage us all to try and take the attitude of Joseph. Let us seek to be righteous, to remain passionate for God and his word, Let's remember who God is, the sovereign, powerful and faithful king who loves us so much he gave his only son to save us from our sin. Let's allow those truths to keep leading us back to him in prayer, be they laments or petitions or prayers of thanksgiving. Alongside righteousness, let us seek to be compassionate to those around us in all the spheres of life we suddenly find ourselves in. Who knows, maybe like Jodie Erickson Tada, God may have allowed our disappointment so we could minister to others in similar need. And when we finally discover God's will and calling on our life, let's be obedient to it with everything we've got. At Christmas, God is to be found in unexpected places. Like with Joseph, even our disappointments can become great turning points. They can become the moment when God starts to use us as part of his great salvation plan.